Thanks for listening to the weekly Overflow Church podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon by Jesse Cup. For more information, visit overflowindy.com or visit us on Facebook at Overflow Indy. All right, guys. Um, I've, I've got something that's been on my heart this week. As a matter of fact, I actually woke up early in the morning a couple of days ago um, and felt like the Lord told me that I needed to speak to you guys on this. And, and I had other things that I was thinking about, but I, I just feel like I'm going to obey the Lord on that one, and here we go. Um, you know, you guys have heard me say this quite a bit, but we are in some pretty crazy times right now, and it's very clear that, uh, that, that right now in this time that we're in, we've entered into a new epic season of, of history. I, I think that the time we're in right now is shifting things in such a way that it's never going to be the same again. I was, I was actually just the other day remembering a few years ago um, <clears throat> when, I don't know if you guys remember this, but the Mayan calendar, I guess it was a calendar that counted backwards until it gets to like zero or whatever. And then uh, according to Mayan tradition, that was going to be the end of the world. And I don't remember what year it was, but it was, it was 2012. Gosh, that's a lot longer ago than I remembered. So, but I, I just remember how uh, people are freaking out. Like, is that going to be when the, when the rapture happens? Or, or, what, or is it going to be a nuclear war that's going to blow the world up? Or what's going to happen? And a lot of, a lot of prophetic people are saying, um, it's going to be the end of the world as we know it. And, you know, and, and it's like something shifting. And I don't know, guys. I think, honestly, that, that maybe the scholars missed it on when that zero mark hit on the Mayan calendar. I think it just hit, guys. Like, if that's what's happening, I think we're at the point right now where, where it's the end of the world as we know it. Um, and, <laughs> you know, we, I don't know what's to come. I don't know how long this lasts or, or how long this transition into a place where things hopefully will get settled. I don't know. I don't know if it ever is going to get settled, honestly. I really don't. But, but things are escalating. And, and, and I don't really love, actually, a lot of what I'm seeing. Like, uh, you know, there's been a lot of, a lot of declarations that uh, we're coming to a point where there's going to be a great awakening. And, and, and we're coming to a point where there's going to be reformation and, and probably a renaissance, a new renaissance and all this. Um, if what we're seeing in the world around us is that, I don't like it. Uh, but but I, I can tell you this, that, that what the negative stuff is that we're seeing, that was not God's plan, uh, but he, he foresaw it. But, he, but, but I believe that God actually has plans of reformation and renaissance. I don't know how it's going to happen. I don't know what it's going to look like. I don't know for sure when we're going to see the effects of it, but I do believe that we're on the brink of seeing um, some wild stuff. And, but it's going to really depend on how you and I, how, the, how God's people, the Christians, position ourselves and carry ourselves. Because we can either choose, well, I wouldn't even say this is a choosing. We can either be passive and let, let the momentum happen to us and we, 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 you know, we kind of default to whatever power it has. But don't do that. That is not what God's called us to be. He's called us to, to be like Jonathan who, 
didn't, he, he didn't let the fear of the Philistines stop him from moving forward with God's plan. I preached about that a few months ago, about breaking through the garrisons of the enemy, because breaking through the garrisons is where you're going to see the momentum of the kingdom come through by the courageous, the brave and the bold. So, and then King David, who wasn't a king when he became the king in God's eyes, um, you know, with Goliath, to David, it wasn't about Goliath. It was about injustice and about uh, seeing, seeing oppression coming. And he's like, this is not God's plan. This is not what God has for our people. I will not put up with this. And so he did something about it. And, and I, just, I just think it's important that we know where our stance is and that we, we anchor down and we don't waver. We don't sway in fear and anxiety and stress or anything like that, all right? We, in this time that we're in, a lot of people believe that we're seeing rapidly culminating um, signs of the end times happening in our midst. And, you know, I, I don't know where I'm at with that. I, there are times when I'm actually starting to question it, that maybe we're actually starting to see the evidences of, of the last days. Now, there's different ways to approach that. Like, like we can either approach it with fear or we can approach it with excitement. Um, you know, but, but I, I've heard, I've heard at least two or three people just in this last week fervently plead with people to, to recognize that we have just entered in like suddenly in the end times. And, and I had one person actually tell me that all hope for revival in America has lost. Are you serious? Because of a presidential election, you think that that was going to determine how, how, you know, what God's plans are of bringing heaven to earth? No, no way. I, I, I told him I can't subscribe to that, that ideal. Um, but, and, and so in his mind, you know, it seemed like it was like, uh, it's time to, to run, it's time to stock up and run and hide in a cave. And I had another person say that too. These are the last times and, and everything's about to go downhill um, and all this stuff. And, and you need to keep preaching the good news, but be ready for the worst to happen. Jesus is going to come back soon. And, and maybe he will. I will say this, um, no matter how you look at it, it's, it seems obvious to me that spiritual warfare has heightened to a level I don't know if this world's ever seen before. And, and I believe that uh, Satan and his demonic kingdom have amped up their resistance probably like he never has in history. I think he's been building towards this. And, um, you know, I, I just believe that spiritual warfare has intensified massively. And so I want to say this as I'm starting here, that when you're, we, we need to know the, that there is spiritual warfare. The kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of Satan clash. Now, we, we know who wins. Amen? Amen? We know who wins. But in war, there, in my opinion, there's four stances you can take in war. The, the first one is the ignorant stance. The, the one that's, that's buried, it's like, a, it's like an ostrich burying its head in the sand. I don't want to know what's going on around me. Let me just pretend like everything's just fine and dandy. But if you're going to choose the ostrich, you're about to get crushed because it's, it's going to come right on you. You'll get slaughtered. 
don't take the passive, don't take the hiding from reality approach because that will get you nowhere. The, and, and then another stance that you can take in war is to retreat, to run and tuck your, ha- your tail and try to hide and get the heck out of there and just let what's going to happen happen because you don't think you got a chance. Well, I want to say something. In the kingdom of God, you got to believe not only do you have a chance, but, but the victory is yours in Christ. All right? Jesus said, he said, I have overcome the world. He said, I have overcome the world. And then, and then in, I believe it's in 1 John, who, who I think is the one who quoted him, we said, I've overcome the world. 1 John, John says, you are overcomers. And he talks about how, how we have overcome the spirit of the world. Amen. Because it's in Christ. So we, we can't take the ostrich stance. We can't take the retreat stance. We've got to know that if we want to be people of the kingdom, we've got to take a Jesus stance. And so the, the, sta- the only two real stances in warfare are, are being on the offense or on the defense. So you're either pushing through into crushing the enemy or you're protecting yourself if, if they're overpowering you. And, and so you're either, you're either dominating or you're protecting yourself from getting dominated. And so we've got, to, we've got to be aware what our positions are. And offense and defense are the only real war positions that you can take. And, and defense, like in the kingdom, we need to know that if we're in a moment of defense, it doesn't stay there. Like if we, if we stay the course God's way, defense will shift into offense and, and we got to know that ultimately we actually are on the offense, okay? Defense should be momentary because Jesus wins, okay? He always crushes Satan when, when we see things through, all right? So, uh, you know, the, the sa- Satan is, is waging warfare against the kingdom of God. And I think I've said this to you before, that Satan knows that he stands no chance against God himself because God can snuff him out with just a, he can just blow his nose and crush Satan. All right. And so Satan knows he stands no chance to God himself, but the only chance he's got is against God's people, the, the Christians, the church. And the only way he stands a chance against the Christians is when Christians are not staying yoked with Christ and living in truth. The only way he can crush a Christian is to get us believing things that's not true and, and, and partnering with lies or wavering in our faith. He can get us when we're, le- when we're most vulnerable. That's his only chance. And that's what he's been trying really hard to work the church into a place of, of passivity or fear or anything that, that isn't keeping us in that place of victoriousness, okay? So in this time that we're in, there's lots of darkness in this world. And it seems that it's getting darker and darker in a lot of ways, on a lot of levels, a lot of different angles. And, and I want to I be as bold as to, as to say that I believe, and I've heard other people say this, that there is an increased warfare from Satanists and witchcraft. And, and that they, they actually bind themselves together in unity. And, and as we've read in the Tower of Babel story, that even satanic kingdom can have such a unity that, that can pose a threat. 
And so uh, I, I believe that, uh, you know, when on that day last week or so, when they rushed the, the, the Capitol building and disrupted everything that was trying to happen, it felt like, it felt like our, our nation went in disarray. And I don't know about you, but I felt just a, a level of stress and anxiety spike to a level that I, I've really not seen. M maybe 9-11 would have been similar to that on a national level, but it just feels like uh, that the atmosphere has intensified in a real dark way since that happened. Uh, it was already escalating, but that just kind of took it to another level. I, I, I really believe that, and I'm not, I'm not trying to make us scared, but, I, but it's important that we're aware of how, how the devil's trying to work because we need to know how we need to function, okay, and, and position our hearts and our belief. But, but I believe that there's been a lot of witchcraft and stuff that's tried to actually speak curses into the atmosphere and release fear on people because they know that the devil functioned best in an atmosphere of fear, okay? If he can get society or a group of people fear-based, fear then it gives him a lot of room to come in and, and, and really try to wreak some havoc. So guess what? Don't fear. God has said it so many times in the Word, do not fear. And, and he always follows it with, because I'm, because I'm with you, who's way bigger than Satan. Remember, he can blow his nose and crush him. So if we know that he's with us, and guess what? Greater is he who's in you than he who's in the world. The one who's behind all this stuff, greater is he who's in you than that dude, okay? So, uh, you know, and, and also, like, as things are brewing up, it seems like we might be on the brink of an increase of, of outbreaks of persecution. And, you know, th there's, a there's a potential, a high potential, that we as Christians are going to start experiencing persecution in ways that we've never seen before. Again, I'm not trying to stir fear. I'm going to go somewhere that I hope will actually release hope to us in what I'm saying right now. But I just want us to be aware that um, the, that's kind of what's brewing up right now in the environment on, on his side of the equation. Okay? And, and I don't want us to fear that because, honestly, like, if that happens... Often the greatest moves of God happen when there's the greatest resistance. So I think that whatever we feel brewing up on that side, we need to get excited that God is about to show himself mighty, magnificent, so much greater by countless multiplications bigger than whatever the devil is trying to do in this world. So that's something to get excited about. In the kingdom, even though I'm saying a bunch of negative stuff, I want us to know in the kingdom uh, we cannot be problems focused. We need to be solutions focused. If we stay focused on the problems, then we're going to really miss out. Because when you stay focused on the problems, you're going to use your own wisdom and your own strength to try to combat something that you're not big enough in and of yourself to combat. But in Christ, if you keep your focus on Him, on His kingdom, on His truth, on His promises, then He's going to come in and be so much greater than all that stuff. That's, that's the way that David was able to crush Goliath. He wasn't focused on him being bigger and stronger than Goliath. He said the battle is the Lord's. It's the Lord's. So no matter what, we must never lose sight of our hope. No matter what happens around us. 
No matter what breaks out or breaks against us or whatever, we've got to keep our focus on our hope. We've got to, we've got to keep our focus on our expectancy of the things that God has promised us and believe that it's coming. We've got to, we've got to stay focused on our identities, being sons and daughters of the Most High God, the, the sons of God that will be revealed to all creation who are eagerly anticipating for you to show up in the glory of God. The Lord is about to release His glory in His people in ways we've never seen before, and I believe that creation is waiting to see you glow. <laughs> so we need to know our identity, that, that we're carriers of the kingdom of God, and it's the superior kingdom. It, it transcends all the things that goes on in this world, and we get to bring that kingdom in and shift the momentum. So we need to know who we are. And we cannot waver in that no matter what the world tries to scare you into believing. Okay? We can't lose sight of our belief that the kingdom is going to continue to advance no matter what. Let me say this. What if we are in the last days? What if, what if this is that time that the, that the Bible teaches us about? Okay. Well, God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's, he's, not a God, he's not a man that he should lie or son of man that he, just, he should change his mind. So everything that he's promised us is still our promises. He doesn't close that book just because an epic season has changed. He still promises to carry us. He still promises to provide for us. He still promises to protect us. He still promises to heal us, to provide for us, to bless us, and to give us the bounty of heaven. His promises stay the same. He promises us peace and joy and love no matter what. He promises us the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So we, He promises us that we get to take the kingdom and the gospel of His kingdom to the ends of the earth and to disciple the nations. God's not changed His mind. I don't care what season we're in. I mean, I care, but it does not close the book on His promises. No matter what. Thank you, Lord. So we've got to keep our focus where it belongs. We can, it's important to be aware of the things going on, but when we become consumed by it, the enemy actually uses that to try to renew our minds in the wrong way and fill it with filth and doubt and, and suppression. And, and I, I know that I've even probably delved into some of that too much lately, and I know what it does to my heart. But when I keep looking at truth and I keep looking into his face, he keeps saying, I'm here. And I'm, and I'm doing it, and you're about to see more. So we just got to know where we keep our faith, where we keep our focus. It's got to stay on Him and the things He's promised us. Revelation chapter 12. I want to take a moment, though, and just talk to you guys a little bit about the book of Revelation. I am no scholar on this. I have studied it some. Um, and, and Revelation is a unique book. Uh, a lot of people live in that book. Don't just live in that book, all right? That'll mess you up. Be aware of it and eat off of it. But, but keep the, the, whole, the whole word because if you don't get the well-rounded, you're going to get really weirdly lopsided, okay? But, but Revelation is a unique book. 
And, and something I've learned as I, the last time I studied through this, um, not real long ago, I actually learned that there's, there's certain ways to actually approach the book of Revelation that, that's different than every other book in the whole Bible. Because there's different types of books in the Bible, and each one has a certain way to read it. The books of poetry, uh, they've got to be read in certain ways. The, the, book, the historical books have to be read in a certain way. The books of the law have to be read in a certain way. Um, the prophets have to be read in a certain way. Revelation is unique because it actually has a compilation of different styles of writing in it. And, and so the, there's different ways to read different parts of it. Some of it is written as a prophetic book. Some of it's written as a poetry book. Some of it's written as, as like an epistle. And, and so the different parts are actually to be seen in different ways. As a matter of fact, I want to take a moment just to do a short teaching. I'm not going to spend too much time on this. There's this book that we got in BSM. I'm sure, did you get this, Seth, when you were in school? It's called How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth. And, and it teaches you how to read, how to study the different types of books in the Bible and how to approach that. And it's really good. It's written by Gordon D. Fee and Douglas Stewart. But the book of Revelation is the, the thing that makes it unique is it's actually considered an apocalyptic book. And apocalyptic books um, are, are a little different than a typical um, prof prophecy book. But I, I want to just read you guys a couple of things, a few things out of here real fast before I get into Revelation 12. Um, he says this, Revelation is a unique, finely blended combination of three distinct literary types, apocalypse, prophecy, and letter. So they have to be read accordingly. Um, and by, again, I'm no scholar on this, right? And, and one thing I appreciate about the way this is written in here in this book is that it actually encourages you not to, not to try to take every single detail in Revelation and, uh, and to try to make sense of everything as a prophetic symbol. Sometimes you're actually supposed to read sections of it and get kind of an overall macro view of it. And, and a lot of the stuff is descriptive to give a, a unique imagery but it doesn't necessarily mean that every single detail means something. I know there's different ways to interpret all this, so I'm not going to force you into this way, but I just want you to think about this, that sometimes Revelation is actually best read more macro than micro. There are certain parts that micro is good. Um, there's this one part in here that this was one of the most important things that I, that I learned. Oh, it also says, it says seldom intend to give a detailed chronological account of the future. So it's like you can't read chapter 1 through 22 and think that that's a chronological uh, reading of what's going to happen. That was new to me when I was studying this last time because it had been a long time since I'd read it. But what I want to show you real quick is that the book of Revelation is actually divided into different sections, and each section has a purpose for the building of the story. And so... It says it explains that chapters one through three is actually considered. You would need to look at this almost like it's a play. And chapters one through three is how a play usually would start, where you have to you have to build the characters and the context for the play. So it sets the stage to introduce the significant characters. Okay, and so chapters one is really about John who who had the experience, and it's about Jesus Christ, and it's also about 
um, the churches. So one through three, the letters to the churches, it sets the stage of what the whole book's going to be about. It's about Jesus. It's about John's encounter. And it's about the churches and the angels that go with the churches. Pretty interesting. And then it, it goes on. It talks about how chapters four and five also help set the stage. And chapters four and five are the encounters in the throne room where you see all the angels and the, and the lamb takes the scroll and, and you know that something's about to happen because of that scroll, okay? Um, chapters six through seven begins to unfold the drama. So it's kind of like it's helping you see what the stage was unfolding into what the story is going to be. Um, let's see. Chapters eight through 11 reveals the content of God's judgment that's going to be explained, all right? It talks about the trumpets and, and the bowls and all that stuff, all right? Um, and then chapters 12 through 22, the rest of it, are the details of, of the judgment and the triumphs. So the, the, the chapters like 5 through 11, it's kind of like gives you kind of a macro view of what's about to expl explained. And then 12 through 22, it's like it's re-going re over that story, but takes you into more of the fine-tuned details of it. So it's, it's not to be read straight through like this going to happen and this and then this and this all the way through. It's like it, it kind of like it explains a story in a general sense and then it goes back and it re-explains it more in a more in a specific sense. OK, you guys, you guys understand what I'm saying. But all that to say, I'm done with this book now. All that to say that chapter 12, where we're getting ready to read, um, is considered the theological key to the book. So chapter 12, right in the middle, it, it actually, that chapter in and of itself contains the essence of what the book is about. And so it's like, it's like a, the book preceding chapter 12 gives you kind of the setting of the stage and then the macro view. Tw then there's 12 that kind of explains the overview of all of it. And then from there, it, it breaks it down into more detail. All right. But chapter the, all the rest of the chapters, it really kind of gives you the earthly perspective of what's going to be explained. But chapter 12 is a, is a glimpse of God's view, the heaven view of what's happening in all of this. So I'm going to read us that. All right. <clears throat> Starting with verse 1. Now a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head, a garland of 12 stars. Then being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. Now, a lot of people might read this and think that's talking about Mary giving birth to Jesus. But a lot of the scholars, and I believe this, actually don't believe that's talking about Mary, but it's talking about the true Israel. All right, it's talking about Israel, and, and the Israel is giving birth to, to Jesus Christ, all right? It talks about the garland of 12 stars. I believe that probably represents the 12 tribes. So it's talking about in Israel, the, the, the Israel in the Bible actually refer, is referred to as the mother, okay, of a child. Uh, um, so it gives birth to the, to the child. Verse 3, And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his head. Heads. That's Satan. 
His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the, and the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. And if you think about when Jesus was born, there's Herod who was actually driven by Satan to try to kill the Christ. And so he, he slaughtered countless male children, hoping that one of them was going to be the son of God. And, and obviously Satan wasn't big enough to make that happen. God's bigger. Amen. And, and so, but then, then the whole life of Jesus, especially since he started his ministry, Satan was trying to kill Jesus. Tried to get him to jump off of a off of a, the temple because he, he hoped that would kill him. And then he tried to get people to kill him until it went to the cross where he overplayed his hand. Amen? Let's move on here. She bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. All nations. Come on. Jesus to rule all nations. America and every other nation. And her child was caught up to God and his throne. Now, it just kind of tells the whole story of Jesus in one verse. He was born, and then he's going to rule, but he was caught up to God. That happened after he resurrected from the dead and ascended, and then he was restored to his throne. Okay? All quickly explained in one verse. Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God that they should feed her there 1,000 260 days. I want to just stop and say, I don't know what all this means. I'm going to keep an, a view on the, on the kingdom overall perspective. I'm not going to try to dissect all that. People spend their lifetimes trying to make sense of what year Jesus is coming back, how long the tribulation is going to last. I'm not doing that. I want to live for the kingdom and stay focused on that. But I'm sure there, that God knows all that and and. That's fine if somebody else focuses on it. I'm focusing on just the, the spirit of this. All right, verse 7. Now, the first part I just read, verses 1 through 6, kind of gives one section of a story. Not everything is chronological, so we've got to remember that. And, and it's, about, it's about Israel, and it's about um, her giving birth to Jesus, and, and how Satan and his kingdom wants to destroy him. Okay, and we know that didn't work. He, he ascended and was, re, and was re-enthroned. Okay, but now we're going into this next section here. War broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought, but they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth and his angels were cast out with him. Now, I want to say, because the timelines are unclear, I don't know if that happened, if this is referring to before Adam and Eve and the fall of man. And it's just kind of because in heaven, time works different than us and it's a broad stroke. It could mean that, could mean that this happened until the day that Jesus went into heaven. And maybe we obviously know that Satan wasn't in heaven living there anymore, but, uh, but I don't know if he had access to go talk to God like he did in the book of Job. I don't know. Uh, that's not where I'm going, but where I am going, it doesn't matter because right now we know that he has been cast out of heaven and that's our today reality. He's been cast out of heaven and a third of the angels, the demons, 
were cast out with him. I believe this happened before the, cre- the creation account in Genesis. Um, but, but we know that a third of them are fallen, which means they're losers. They're, they got the boot from, from God. Actually, from Michael. God's like, I, I don't even want to waste my time. I'll have Michael kick him out of there. That's awesome. Michael probably felt pretty powerful, <laughs> I would think. All right, verse 10. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven. I want you guys to hear this in context of that great dragon that, that described and all of the demonic kingdom that went, that's with him on this earth because, because they're the tormentors. They're the, they're the ones who, who bring persecution. They're the ones that bring darkness into this, into this world. And, and so they're the ones who are behind a lot of the stuff that's going on in our world right now that's making a lot of people panic, okay? Verse 10, Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now listen to this, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of His Christ have come. Come on. So it doesn't matter. Like, the whatever... Power, it seems like the enemy has. God's saying, but this is what you have. This is for you. Salvation. Come on. That's, that's way more powerful than you know, by the way. A lot, of, a lot of passive Christians walking around and, you know, we're just trying to get through believing. That's good. But God's actually given you so much more in your salvation than just trying to be a good Christian. You're supposed to be a powerful, warring more than conquering, kingdom-carrying, glory-bearing, son and daughter of the Most High God, mighty men and women of God, men and women of valor, who know your authority and take dominion on this earth that God's given you the power to take, all right? So God has given us salvation, and, and He's given us His strength, and that word strength is dunamis. It's that raw Miracle work and power where heaven comes in and is released into this natural world. He's given us the kingdom of God. And that's the domain of the king. He's given us dominion to carry his kingdom out on this earth. If we understand the power of these things, then we can know that we don't have to fear that giant serpent with multiple heads. And, And all those demons. Guess what? We have twice as many than they do. All right, you just got to keep that in mind. And, and, and it says, and he's given us the power of his Christ, of the Christ. The power of his Christ have come. So the power, that's the Greek word exousia. It means the authority. God's actually given you the authority of his name. To bear his name as a badge of authority, delegated authority, you actually get to carry the authority of Christ on this earth. And it says, it doesn't say just the authority of Jesus, it says the authority of his Christ, which means the anointed one. So you get to actually walk in the anointing of the Messiah. Hallelujah. Powerful. All right, I want to reread that. Now, now salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of the brethren who accused them before God day and night has been cast down. All right. So as, as it's saying that this great enemy has come to this earth, that you need to know that, that even though he's here and as powerful as he may be, you've got all this on your behalf. That's amazing. Salvation, strength, dunamis power. 
the kingdom of God, the, the authority of the anointed one. Come on, what match does the devil have when we know who we are and what we carry? For the accuser of the brethren who accused them before God day and night has been cast down. Your accuser has been kicked out of heaven. He has no voice in heaven. Come on. He has a voice on this earth for those who would listen. And I, I want to actually stop and I want to say this about the accuser and about accusation because the goal of accusation is to cast shame on people and to bring them down, to make them inferior, to make them feel like dump, a dump cake. All right. The accusation does not come from the spirit of Christ. God's not an accuser. He's not an accuser. It's a, it brings a spirit of shame. And there's no shame in the kingdom of God. Some of you need to hear that. There's no shame in the kingdom of God. And people who are monitoring other people's lives and often calling them out are working from the spirit of the accuser. All right? There's a religious spirit that causes people to religiously judge and condemn one another. And that's no fun. A lot of people have actually left the, the Christianity because of religion and, and that accusing, condemning spirit. I want to say this, and I'm going to say it boldly. The, the, see, many people who, who hate the spirit of religion, rightly so, have actually picked up the same spirit. It just, it just is, is manifesting in the form of politics and social, social exchange. All right? So because because there's a lot of people right now who are condemning people because of whatever side of the of the political spectrum they've been on or how, how do you manage yourself with masks and all this stuff? There's this stuff going on. And guess what? If, if you or people, you know, are, are living a place where you're always monitoring people and what they're doing, you might be influenced by by that same spirit. And this goes on both sides of the spectrum, I must say. But guess what? Jesus died on the cross to set us free from judgment and shame. And so we need to decide what spirit are we functioning from and how we're looking at other people and treating them. Because if we're, if we're judging and casting shame and accusing people, and, that, and that, obviously there's a time when we need to confront people if they're, if they're doing things that are... Uh, destructive to themselves or others, but we do it from a loving way, from a way that actually cares for their heart and for the hearts of those around them. There's actually a, a Christ-like way to approach people, and it's not from the spirit of accusation, all right? There's a right way to do it, and it's actually a place that has a heart to see them actually become embedded and become shifted into the ways that God flows so they can get in the grace of the kingdom because you care for their heart. There's a right way to do it. But, but the way that I'm seeing mostly right now is coming from the darkness. I hate seeing it because it makes people feel really bad about themselves and it makes people feel like they're walking on eggshells. That is not from the Spirit of Christ, guys. Pay attention to what's motivating you. Pay attention to, to what spirit you're being driven from. Pay attention to what spirit is trying to come at you. Because if there's accusation coming at you and you feel in your heart that you're, that you're doing right with the Lord, 
I want to encourage you not to let the shame of those words get on you and just anchor yourself in the amazing grace and mercy of Christ who loves you and is not judging you. Amen? Come on. All right, enough on that. I, I recently read the book of Job in chapter 1. I'm not going to go through the story, but, uh, but Job uh, was, a, was considered a righteous man and Satan. It's actually an interesting story that shows what I just read about how you, they would go into heaven and accuse people. And maybe this happened in a season, an era when God allowed that, but he doesn't anymore, okay? But Satan went there to find if he could, um, if he could try to attack God's people. And, and I want to just read this two verses. Chapter 1, verse 6 through 7. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, From where do you come? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From roaming about on the earth and walking around on it. And I love that because what God was doing was he was rubbing it in Satan's face. You know that this used to be your place. You were Lucifer. This was your place. But when you rebelled against me, I cast you out and you had to descend down to the earth. And, and I took your legs off of you. And, and you're, you're a, such an inferior place right now. He, he actually made Satan have to acknowledge, I'm not in the heavens with you anymore. And I'm just roaming around walking on this earth. It, he was humiliating Satan because Satan knew where he came from. And he had to acknowledge that's not where I'm at anymore. I think that's amazing. And Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning. Come on. All right. So back to Revelation. <clears throat> this is such a powerful thing. So I just read to you all the benefits we have in Christ because the accuser has been cast down, right? Verse 11, and they overcame him. By the blood of the Lamb yep. and the word of their testimony. Mm -hmm. And they did not love their lives to the death. And that word, love their lives to the death, if you read it in a different translation, it actually says they did not love their lives, their life, even when faced with death. In other words, they, they were so connected with God's heart and his kingdom that even if they were going to be martyred, they would not waver. Okay? And these people knew what, what persecution was in a way that we've never seen before. But they overcame that, what, however many heads that dude has. And, and the diadems and how ugly of a beast and big he is. And that a third of the angels fall. And he's trying to attack Jesus and his people. The, it says that they, that they overcame him. Hallelujah. Not by their own strength but by the blood of the Lamb. And we need to always remember and stay closely connected to the cross, the crucifixion of Jesus and the, the, the death that He took on His body and the bleeding out that He did for you and me. Because it's not what you've done or what I've done. We don't deserve it, but He paid the ultimate price to gift to us freely that salvation and to put the kingdom into us. And he was resurrected. 
And, and we need to live closely to that reality because when we know that the blood of Jesus has paid the price and has paid for everything we have that we can overcome because it's not our own strength, it's the strength of Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And they overcame him by the, by the word of their testimony. And I want to say that we need to remember the things that God has done for us. The things that he's given to us. And that one of the thing, the enemy's best tricks is to get us to try to forget. He tries to get us to forget the great things that God's done for us. And, and sometimes, you know, maybe, maybe because of culture, I don't know. It's not kingdom. I know this. It, w- the more we hear something, it's like, oh, I'm kind of tired of talking about that. Really? Because God gave birth from heaven to earth for that breakthrough for you. And, and it's your testimony. And a testimony is a, is, is a gift to you. It's a breakthrough. And it's, an, it's a sign to you of who God is and what he will continue to do. And when we see the testimonies that other people have and we honor them and celebrate them, we're recognizing that's who God is. That's what he does. And he'll do it for me. He'll do it for you. We need to reflect and remember and cherish and worship the Lord for the great things that he's done for us and for those around us. Because that that keeps us connected with his heart and with his nature. When we remember all the things God does, we need to speak them out because it's the word of the testimony. We need to declare it. We need to share it. We need to tell people about it. We need to believe that he'll continue to provide those victories because it, and it inspires endurance when everything comes against us, trying to tell us that we might as well give up or go hide. We need to anchor down and we need to know that we will not waver and everything that comes against us to try to make us think that we're going to fail. Look at the testimonies. Look at what he's done. He's going to come through again and he'll come through again and again and again all the way through yes. to victory. And he crushes Satan. I want to remind us, Overflow, that we have a powerful testimony that we cannot forget about. The Nehemiah Project. God gave us breakthroughs. Breakthroughs bigger than what we as a church were really ready for. But we believed and we didn't waver. And he came through and he gave us the funding to get in that building. We're almost there. But he's given us all this stuff and we're not going to be in debt for any of it because it, and it's just so powerful. And we need to not forget that because God gave us that huge breakthrough right before the precipice of this epic season shift that we're in right now. And even as things look dire in the world in some ways, and, and we don't know what's going to happen, but I just want to say, if things continue to get worse out there, we need to remember what he's done right here because he's going to keep doing it for us because that's who he is. That's who we are to him. And God has us as a church. I don't believe that God did all that just so that things are going to fail or fall apart. Okay? His promises to overflow to you, to me. And his vision, the the things that he has foreseen, he's told us that we're going to see if we keep going after this thing, they are sure and will come to pass. And if you waver and believe in that, remember the Nehemiah Project testimony. Because it's a sign 
of who God is and that he believes in us and that he didn't do it just for a short season. He did it to establish us for great things to come. We must not lose sight or our faith. And we need to continue to endure forward and not lose heart. Amen? Amen. And, and, and then for you personally, consider your personal testimonies and let them anchor you. Remind yourself of these things and know that God is going to continue to be good like he has been already. All right? And these, these, will, these, will, these will sustain us in hard times. I, I could continue reading... But I, I'm, I don't want to spend the time. I wanted to read the whole chapter, but it goes on and it talks about how the, the great dragon. Ah, check this out. Verse 12. <clears throat> it says that the devil has come down to you having great wrath. All right. And, and the devil has wrath <laughs> against you and, and against me, against Christianity, against the body of Christ, because he hates us, because he knows that he, he's inferior to us. And if he can get us to believe his lies, he'll try to bind us and, and oppress us. But when he knows that we rise up into who we are, he doesn't stand a chance. And, and the serpents and scorpions are crushed under our feet. All right? And it says he, he, he comes with great wrath because he knows that he has a short time. Hallelujah. If the accuser tries to come against you, just remember, he's got a short time, and you can even remind him, you got a short time. Amen? But it goes on, it talks about how the dragon tried to come against the, the woman, and, and, and he tries to um, attack her and stuff, but everything he does does not succeed. It does not succeed. So it says in verse 17, it says, The dragon was enraged with the woman, and he went to make war with the rest of her offspring who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. So it didn't work with the woman. It didn't work with Jesus Christ. So he's going after the other offspring, the believers. That's talking about you and me, the church. It's talking about the church. So, so the, all the stuff that's going on in the nation and the world right now, it's not even really about politics. It's ultimately the devil's trying to find ways to come against the church. That's his ultimate plan underneath all of it, okay? And, and we just need to know that we have hope, all right? We need to remember that we have salvation. We have the dunamis power of God. We have the kingdom of God. We have the power, the authority of the anointed one given to us. We have the blood of the lamb, and we have the word of our testimony, and these are the things that we can have to crush the devil, and it says in Romans 16.20, the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. And I'm, I'm getting close to wrapping up here. I want to read to you two verses out of Matthew 16, verses 18 through 19. This is when Peter had the revelation that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus said to Peter, I'll start with verse 17. He said, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood have not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock 
I will build my church. Guess what? It's not the pastor who builds the church. It's not even the apostle who builds the church. It's not the church who builds the church. It's Jesus who builds the church. And he says, the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Hallelujah. The gates of Hades. The kingdom of that person I'm talking about, that, that demonic dragon and the, and the third of the angels. The gates of Hades shall not prevail against the church. That is powerful. He says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Hallelujah. The keys of the kingdom of heaven. Heaven on earth. He gives us the keys to bring heaven to earth. Unlock heaven into the earth. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And the actual Greek says, whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven. As if it already was bound. And so because it was already bound there, you get to bind it here. You're bringing what's in heaven into the earth. Whatever you loose on the earth will be loosed in heaven or will have been loosed already in heaven. You're going to do what you've seen the Father do on earth. You're going you're gonna to bring heaven to earth. You're gonna, you, the, the, the kingdom of God comes and His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We get to release the bindings of heaven into the earth. So if God sees that Satan has been bound there, then we get to bind him here. If he's loosing people in heaven from the grip of Satan, we get to loose them here. Come on. And so, so we, get to, we get to bring the authority and the power of the kingdom of God, as we just read in Revelation 12. We get to bring that, and we get to release it. We're unlocking all the things that release heaven into earth, into, this, into the situations, and, and the gates of Haiti will not prevail against the church. Come on, that is such a good word. And we need to believe that we're on the victorious side. The church is the safest place that you can be when all hell breaks loose. I want to tell you the enemy will try to make cowards of, of fence-sitting Christians. He'll try to get people to hide or to, or to agree with some side so that they won't get in trouble. Guess what? The church is the safest place. All right? When, when Hades is trying to rev up, where should you be? Do you want to be on your own or do you want to be in the place where Jesus said it will never prevail? Come on. Jesus builds his church and we need to be connected and grounded and we need to know how God's functioning and where, is, where he's winning at. And I'm going to end by saying this. If you don't know Jesus, now's the time. If you're a complacent Christian, repent. If you're backslidden, repent. If you partnered with the accuser of the brethren, repent. If you've not trusted God and given your all to Him, repent. If you've lost your value for the church, Repent. And I just want to pray over us right now because I, I believe that God wants to call His people together and some who have gone wayward, He's calling them back. And I believe we're about to start seeing more and more people 
realize how desperate they are for God. I believe we're about to see an influx of people coming into the church and into the kingdom, and we need to be ready for this. And I want to call on us as a church to be ready. Jesus told us that we're supposed to make disciples, and I want to call on you. The Lord may actually upgrade your calling in the near future to make disciples. All right? We need to be ready for this. But I want to call on us. If the Lord is has convicted your heart with these things, I want you to pray right now. Lord Jesus, as a matter of fact, pray with me. Yeah, why don't you actually repeat after me (laughs) if if your heart is moved with this. Jesus, we need you you. more than ever. ever. We We believe that you are the Lord. We believe that we're safe in you. We believe that your kingdom prevails. We believe that the blood of Jesus and the word of our testimony helps us to overcome the enemy. And if I have sins, I ask you to forgive me. And it, just pause for a second. If you know of any sins right now that you have, I want to give you a moment to ask him to forgive you of it right now whether it's a sinful act or whether it's passivity or whether it's fear and anxiety or whether it's complacency, whether it's partnering with the spirit of accusation. I just want to give you a moment to ask the Lord to forgive you if, if, if these are you. If you need to be saved, now is the time to tell Him, Jesus, repeat after me, Jesus, Save me. Forgive me of all my sins. I give them to you right now. I give you my life. I receive your cross and your resurrection. I receive your forgiveness. Come into me. Cleanse me from the inside out. Transform me. Make me new. Make me born again. I'll live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Awesome, guys. I know this went a little long. Um, I just bless you. I I hope that your spirit is um, grasping this stuff. And I I pray that that you're just getting more firm in your spirit right now in Jesus.